Welcome everyone to Lily High on Life. And my special guest today is Anne DaCosta. Anne, welcome to Lily High on Life. Thank you for inviting me, Lily. It's actually your second invitation. I had you as a guest when you published your first book, and now you've published your second book. So congratulations. Thank you, Lily. It's very exciting. Could you tell us a little bit about how you found the motivation to do a second book, especially during the lockdown period with COVID? Most of us were crazed. (laughs) That's right. Well, I jotted down the notes for my second book when I was working at Davy Jones in a company called Perry Cutton at that time. And I put it away and then I forgot about it. Then came COVID and we were all locked up and there was nowhere to go. So I thought, well, if you can't go out, then you go in. So I pulled out the book and I thought, what a wonderful opportunity. There's so much sadness in the world. What a wonderful opportunity for me to write a book of hope. So out came the second book. Just wonderful because there are all different kinds of reactions to being in lockdown and the fact that you chose something positive that actually has a tangible result that will actually help people is a wonderful thing and you've always got that choice. I'm sure you had a few low points and things at the beginning or during it as well. Could you talk a little bit about that and the mindset and perseverance? Absolutely, Lily. After I wrote the second book, I was always still a little bit doubtful about my potential as a writer and concerned about what would people think, uh, how are they going to accept my book. So those feelings were there, I must admit. But when the second book came along and after I finished writing it, I realized this is truly my life's purpose. I just enjoyed writing it and I would say that the stream of writing flowed through without any blockages and I felt so connected to what I was doing. I was fully present and then I realized that for the first time in my life, Lily, I felt a great sense of freedom and this freedom that I'm talking about is I was always thinking in my early years, I want to be free, I want to be free from bondage, but I never knew what I was wanting to be free from. But when I completed my second book, I realized, oh my gosh, I finally have found my freedom in my writing. So and tell us a little, tell this audience a little bit about your background in your early years, because Um, where you came from, what the culture was like that also helped you feel that you weren't totally free. I was born in Sri Lanka and I loved my roots because it was very colourful. We embraced all religions and looking back now, it was fabulous. Every bit of my... We had hard times, we had good times, we had very strict parenting and that was the way it was at that time be seen and not heard, do as you're told, we were not given any choices. But now when I look back, I'm thinking all all those rules and regulations, they shaped me for who I am. 
and now I think okay so these are the obstacles but I can push through these obstacles right now so but I must say that when when I was young the mindset in our culture and I would say globally as well was um, you know you don't have much choices you just do as you're told and women particularly you all just stay in the kitchen you know what I mean you get you're very well educated you can go out and work but don't speak up don't say too much and if you speak up a little louder it's like you know people stare at you because you know your opinion is not very important and maybe you shouldn't talk too much you know so I lived with these barriers and as the years went by I thought to myself oh there's a depression around me there was a depression in my mind and I couldn't figure out what this depression was you know be seen and not heard don't speak up you know women shouldn't do this women shouldn't talk women shouldn't maybe they shouldn't even write maybe they shouldn't be more literate maybe they shouldn't shine so I found that as a woman as a young girl to a woman I was struggling with these issues and I didn't know how to get around it but of course I once I was in Australia I started these going for motivational classes and I educated myself and then I, the writing started to flow through but it was only in the second book that I found my freedom and finally I'm present as a freedom writer and that's the part I'm really liking. And what you just said is so important because even Australian women who were born here in Australia still feel that need to please others or their husband or some of their father or somebody else and not themselves and so they live their lives for other people instead of for themselves so what i'm hearing you say is that the way that you managed to overcome this was first of all you knew there was something wrong so you identified that Mm-hmm. maybe there was a better happier life and then you went out and you found the resources to learn about what those alternatives were mm-hmm. I would say that for me my I didn't realize it because it was an unconscious behavior pattern I was a people pleaser that was my thing I had to please everyone make sure that there's peace around nobody should be arguing no conflicting conversations there should be peace and we should all live in perfect harmony and I was struggling with that and when I came out of it I realized okay now there is a better way to live there is self-expression and it's okay I'm giving my permission I'm giving myself permission to write and what was the first step what was the first thing that you heard about or saw or how did you find that first little piece that allowed you to go into this education of yourself to me it was depression I didn't have clinical depression it was an ordinary depression but waking up every morning and it was living a life of quiet desperation that's how I would uh, describe it and this kept going on and on but then came the courses from America fabulous motivational courses where did you find them well I was searching deeply 
And then I saw them being advertised in the papers, and then people would say, you know, oh, there's a lovely, uh, there's a very interesting course here, there's a very interesting course there. And before long, I just signed up for all the motivational courses, and I've done just about every course you could possibly think of. <laughs> I, I would spend all my time, this is before work, after work, you know, just completely and utterly devoted to changing the belief system because when I started to hear what they said, what these courses were saying, you can change your life, you can change your belief system, you can be a different person, you don't have to be the person you are, I thought this is what I want, this is what I've been looking for, this is what I want and I went after it like you wouldn't believe. It was like a river overflowing. You realised that it was something so important for you. Did you share what you were doing with anyone in those early days? Uh, just a few, because uh, there's always conflict of opinion, because I don't think people want you to become stronger, and people don't want you to shine, so you don't want to say too much. But I did it very quietly. I just kept going for course after course after course. And I cannot believe, I have to say this, I spent $500 to study gratitude. And that was, um, every course teaches you something. But I'll never forget that I actually spent $500 and I learned gratitude at Landmark Forum. If I didn't do that course, I wouldn't know the depths of gratitude. It was marvellous. And Landmark Forum is a fabulous organisation, which is global, Mm. which is experiential Mm -hmm. as well as Mm. lectures. um, And they do some wonderful wonderful courses. Landmark Forum was very challenging and I struggled to get through it but out of it I couldn't believe that for the first time in my life I fully understood the meaning of gratitude. I felt gratitude amongst other things but I would say primarily gratitude. So tell me that transition because you opted to to decide to spend that money at Mm. that time. Mm. Um, You obviously knew something, gratitude. What did gratitude mean to you before the course and then after you did the course? I think to me, before I did the course, gratitude was mechanical. You know, you just constantly thank people, but you don't go to the depth of that deep feeling where you feel a deep connection with with other human beings. So of course I was, you know, in my, I was born and raised a Catholic and we said our prayers and we learned to forgive. We did all of that. But as the years go by, there's a lot of people you, you hold grudges against. And I couldn't get past those grudges because it's not possible to keep forgiving everybody because I'm not a God, you know. So, and I did know that I was carrying some grudges, you know, regarding uh, the way I was raised or what if somebody hurt me and I couldn't get rid of it and it was just something I lived with. I didn't think too much about it but after I did Landmark Forum, I, it was mind-boggling how gratitude just set me free and I realized that gratitude was my path. So my first book is, grat- is a book of gratitude because I've reached such a depth of gratitude that it's breathtaking to behold, to feel this wondrous connection with all other human beings. And so many people Mm. hold grudges. Mm. They might not voice them, but they hold them. Yes. Particularly because it's so painful to them. It is. Can you share some um, things 
or thoughts or aspects to help those people listening as a start because obviously there's a lot of work. Yes, I have to say that gratitude has to start with family purely because we all have parents and to a degree we hold grudges against our parents because of parenting. But whatever they did to you, is that that's all they knew because that's the way they were raised by their parents. So I'm not saying really bad things. For some people it's slight, for some people it's massive. But to me, you start off with your parents, then your friends, your aunts, your uncles, and then you quietly work your way around the sphere of the way you were raised. So I would suggest for people who are struggling with forgiving their parents, aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters, and there are massive grudges, and it all starts with the family. That's where it all starts before you go into the outer world, into the workforce. So I would suggest you take about 10 sheets of paper, put it on a table, and just write down things that you're grateful for. And immediately you start to release. With the person that you feel. No, no. Just just things that you're grateful for. Just, I'm grateful for the sun. I'm grateful for the moon. I'm grateful for the water. I'm grateful for the lilies, the fields. You know, just keep writing. When you get to 100, when you, I was stunned that when you reach a hundred things that you are grateful for, you automatically start to breathe more easily because the spirit starts to flow through you and you feel start to feel so free because we're so tense, we're hanging on to so much um, excess baggage. It's heavy, our burdens are so heavy and we can't even think, we can't see the forest for the trees. And I must say that as you were talking about this before and you went into how much better you felt, mm-hmm. you can see it in your face that it's a truth because you just lightened up and, and blossomed completely. That was a big question that you asked me, Lily. So after I finished Landmark Forum, thereafter I became an addict. I became a seminar <laughs> junkie. I said, this is it. I'm free, no more grudges, I've let go of everything, I'm out of this bondage story. I rolled up for every conceivable course. So I finished Landmark Forum, I did Tapping the Healer Within, I did You Were Born Rich. You Were Born Rich was massive because that was my university education which I'm really proud of. After I finished You Were Born Rich came the second book and many other books as well, Mm. which are still not uh, published but my second book is. Now, and how many people were you locked down with in your home? Just my husband and myself. That was it. Just no the two children. Of us. Oh, no. my daughter was there for a little while, but just the two of us. But it was like, what am I going to do now? You know, I can't go out. But I'm also, I'm a passionate writer and a passionate photographer. So I was out with my mobile in my hand doing a photo shoot and I have included some of my photography in my book so and it's beautiful yes thank you Lily. Thank I did you. I did read it over the weekend it's not a big heavy book it's an easy to read easy to digest book with beautiful photos thank as you well. Lily thank you thank you very much so my question was did your husband and daughter know that you were writing this? Were they supportive? Were they not supportive? What did you, what were the things around your writing within your own home that you had to go through? 
I have to say that as a person, my personality is I'm very reclusive and I don't share readily what I'm doing. So that part of me goes completely silent. So to me that that is at an advantage purely because in order to learn the secret, you have to be silent. You have to learn to be silent and not talk too much. So I, ne by, I never tell people what I'm doing in my, in my writing world because um, I want to keep it private until I can produce something. So um, when you completed your mm -hmm. second book mm -hmm. and you have a book launch coming up on in April, on the 24th of April. The 24th of April, mm -hmm. which I'm very much looking forward oh, to. Oh, thank you. Um, and with the book launch and the publishing of the book and everything, how does your husband feel about it now? Uh, he's very happy. He's very happy. He's happy. My daughter's happy. They said, oh, whatever makes you happy. And they're really excited about it. They're excited for me. Yes. That's wonderful. That's really wonderful to have that support, mm -hmm. especially now that you've done it. Yes. And you have your parents still alive. My mum's here. Your mum's here. And how does she feel about this new direction and career for you? Mum loves it. Mum is very spiritual. She's a very spiritual being. She's been a huge guiding force in my life. And she's very, she's very literary. So she loves the world. She loves my world of writing. She's enjoying every minute of it. She's a big fan of my first book. And she's already read my second book. And she's jumping out of her skin. That's wonderful. Really, really wonderful. And of course, what you do actually motivates your children in new directions and shows them that all things are possible at different times. Would you like to share a little bit about your kids and their um, reactions both to your book and their own lives, how they've developed a little? I have one daughter and uh, she's fiercely independent, so I'm very grateful for that. She's um, educated. She's smart, she's intelligent, and she says, Mom, do whatever makes you happy. So she, uh, she too is a writer. She loves to write. Um, when she writes, I just enjoy uh, reading whatever she writes, Lily. She's a prolific writer. And she's really happy for me, and she's uh, very enthusiastic and thrilled to come. She's waiting to come for my book launch. Did she notice changes in you? Um, as you were going doing the courses? I don't think so because I am so there's a part of me that's so deep and reserved the word is reserved I'm so reserved that very rarely would people get a glimpse of what I'm doing it's just my but there must have been changes in the way you related to her and the way you related yes. to your husband because yes. You can't change anybody else, but you can change yourself. True. And then other people naturally change around you. Yes. I think the only way they could possibly... If their, their lives are very busy too. My daughter went to university and she travelled overseas. And so she's done a lot of travel. My husband's very busy. But I think if at all they notice any changes in me is that I'm so motivated that I'm up very early in the morning, I'm out the door and I'm doing about three hours of work, they don't know what I'm doing, before I start my day job. Right. 
So I'm up really early, I do meditation, I do writing. Because to be a writer, this is very important, Lily, to be a writer, one has to write an hour a day. If you're not writing one hour a day, and this I'm telling everyone, you won't make it as a writer. Yes, because that... It's a practice. Yes, that motivation to Mm. actually sit down Mm. and write Mm. is the most difficult thing about writing. Because it's like if you want to be a good pianist, you have to sit at your piano and just work on your, you know, just keep practicing. So the word is practice, practice, practice. So even for writers, if you're not writing an hour a day, you are not going to make it as a writer. So I did this. I've been doing this for about a very long time, since 2000. I've been jotting down notes, but to really seriously do writing for one hour a day, I would say like in 2002, I became, I, I attended a lot of courses on writing and how to become an author and steps to become an author. I've done all of those courses, attended well, incredible seminars on how to become an author. I even met Louise here and I would say that's my high point. Wow. That was my high point because I want to be like her. Mm. Because we, she's not here anymore and uh, she's given us a legacy. Yes. So I want to walk in her footsteps. Yes, when I first, I read the first book of hers, You Can Let Heal Your Life. life. Yes. And in the back of that book, she had a, um, like a grid with a list of all the body ailments and then suggesting um, mantras yes. to overcome them. Yes. And it was so eye-opening. And of course, I became mm-hmm. a huge fan mm-hmm. after that as well. Yes, I have to say, You Can Heal Your Life is when I started thinking about changing my life. That that book just opened out a whole new world to me of infinite possibilities and you can rise above everything if you can just follow these steps. But when I met her, I had it was a, a writer's function, writer's workshop that I attended. And um, this was, I think, her last seminar that she had, her, her last workshop that she had in Melbourne. And I thought to myself, I've got... Three, I've got maybe 10 seconds with her because we were all standing in line and we had to say something to her. I thought, what am I going to say to her in three seconds? And what is she going to say to me? So I was really, you know, excited, stressed. And then she was signing some books and all she looked up and said to me was, practice, practice, practice. And I never realized the depth of that. So it meant that if I want to be something or be somebody, I just have to practice. So I practiced my writing and I practiced my mantras. I took it very seriously and that's my second book. Wonderful. Really, really wonderful. Now, you also, um, even before your first book or just after it, started uh, working with people um, one-on-one to help them with their lives. Can you talk a little bit about that too? When I was working, I realized that uh, I had already changed my mindset and I was onto something really good. I realized that in my day job, I was earning earning X amount of dollars, but after doing seminars, I just had this information flooding into my mind, secrets to success, which I didn't talk about then, but I realized that if I taught people anything, they actually realized, oh my God, this is possible. So I was consulting before coming to work. I was in all the hotels in, in Melbourne, 
sitting and having clients and I was selling secrets to success for $100 an hour because wow. I wanted to trial the material that I had learned and they were benefiting and I was shocked. How wonderful. Yeah, I would walk into cafes and I would say to them, so how's business? And they're going, oh, you know what, it's very quiet. I'm saying, do you want to improve your business? And they go, yes. I said, okay, uh, here's my yes. business card. And you know, they would, they would be, they didn't know how to react to what I was saying. And often they'd call me back and I would give them secrets for a hundred dollars. And I was like, I can't believe that I've got a day job where my, I wasn't earning that kind of money. But here was I offering, you know, secrets for hundred dollars an hour. So that was a big thing. And that's when I realized I need a book. It's time to put it in a book. The power of positive mm. thinking. Mm. And also you learn by teaching. Yes, absolutely. But I, I have to say, Lily, I'm very disciplined as a human being. So that is the first thing one has to have to become anything in life. I'm very disciplined. So I was true to my word. I was, I put in one hour of writing a day and I chanted. That was my full-time job chanting. And that's what my second book is all about. And when you say an hour a day, do you do just an hour a day or do you write longer than that? Sometimes I do longer, but I make sure that the least, least is one hour because that is my practice. And when I say writing, it doesn't mean that I'm writing a story. I could write one hour's uh, writing of gratitude, one hour of forgiveness. I could just pick, I just pick a random topic and I write. Right. And things... It just flows, it flows through, through yes. you and just to get well. the writing to flow, because if you if you don't keep at it, then there's a block. Anna, what did you learn from these people that it sounds like you had the confidence to just approach people you don't know, which is a huge thing. Not that not many people can do that. What did you learn? And what did it give you to be able to do that? And then also, people are all different. So what were some of those experiences that you had when you were doing that? I have to say that I was stunned myself because I would walk into very uh, exclusive businesses and give them my card. And they would look at me like in utter disbelief. And some would say yes and some will readily say no thank you you know so i've mm -hmm. got the yeses and the noes then so i met different sections of people i would be what sorry what percentage said no and yes i would say it was a mixed i would say 50 50. really 50 -50. that's a lot yes 50 50 because if i walk into any business and say you know how's your business going would you like to improve it not they would look at me like who are you and you know, which is understandable, right? But here's the thing, I particularly speak to university students now because they're intelligent, they're in university, they're really doing big degrees, they're doing masters, fellowship, you know, and onwards and upwards. And I've asked, I would give them some suggested books to read. And a few of them said they didn't understand the material. So which, and this material is Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And some of them actually couldn't understand it. And I do get it because we do not understand everything that we read. 
there are different books to suit your mind. So I, I said to them, are you studying anything motivational? And a lot of them don't study anything motivational. And this is why motivation is such a big subject. What I'm saying is that we are all educated people, but we are studying just a particular field, like to be a doctor, to be a banker, to be an um, economist. But that has got nothing to do with motivation. Motivation is a subject entirely on its own. Mm. It's a bit like um, critical thinking or yes. a little bit about... Yes. Uh, I think that's, to me, one of the big problems with the wokeness today comes from the fact that kids don't know how to think for themselves. It, it's quite a big subject because someone actually has to teach you that. Yes. I... If I didn't attend these courses and seminars, I wouldn't be talking to you, Lily. Yes. I'd be sitting in my house and not knowing what to do next. And I would be struggling. If I didn't do these seminars, I would be sitting at home struggling with depression, going and seeing the doctor. Uh, perhaps I would have been a very sad human being. And looking at the government to look after me and my family to look after me and and, and I'll be a burden to them. And this is exactly why I do Lily mm. High on Life so people can hear that other people have gone through the same struggles that they have but have come out the other side. Absolutely. And so there's always hope mm -hmm. and there's always another way. You always have choices. You know, sometimes my mother says to me, but I have no choice. To, and I say, well, you have, you just don't like the other choices. Yes. And even if you don't like the other choices, you it's up to you if you want to stay stuck or if you want to just try something that might be uncomfortable but could come out to something better. It is very frightening. And a perfect example of this is the iPad. My mother would not, she lives with her iPad now, but it took me two or three years to get her to even look at it because she believed in her mind that it was technology and she couldn't do technology and yes. that was in her early 80s. Yes. Today she's 89. Mm -hmm. So I actually bought an iPad that I had to take back because she d wouldn't use oh, it. Gosh. And now she's amazed at all the... She's found songs from her childhood oh, in Russia. Beautiful. And to look at her face as she's listening to these mm. things that give her so much pleasure now mm -hmm. is just amazing. So it's, I'm very appreciative of you sharing what you're sharing because it's exactly what people out there need to hear mm -hmm. and also um tell us the name of your book did we mention it did we even mention that and also where people can buy it absolutely uh the name of the book is the merchant of secrets and right now it's available in one shop which is our bookshop in hawksburn and it will be on amazon very soon i think it's already uploaded on amazon and uh Pretty much, it's going to get it's going to be out in more stores. The Merchant of Secrets. The Merchant of Secrets. And do you have something in mind for your next book as well? 
the title has popped up, but I'm always quiet okay. and silent. But you have a number of other books. I've got the book number three has popped up already. The way my mind works is the title pops up, the contents pop up, and then I have to address it. But I know that when I address it, there's a responsibility. So I go, okay, now when am I going to do this? Because then I'm locking myself up again to write, you know. Yes. So I thought, let me finish the book launch first and enjoy the joy of producing it. And uh, then I'll get back to starting on my third book. The notes are already there. And of course, things come up. I mean, who on earth would have predicted that there'd be a lockdown and COVID? So talk a little bit about not letting things deter you or get in the way. Well, to me, COVID was an opportunity that, okay, I'm locked up, so... I go in, I write the book of hope, and I share it with everyone. So to me, what I've studied is that however dark and bleak circumstances of life may dictate, because life is a struggle, life is very challenging, and daily life is mundane. But what you've shown is that it doesn't have to be mundane. It doesn't doesn't have to be a struggle. And it's the perspective that you put on it. So whereas... A majority of people yes. felt the restriction of being locked yes. in, the restrictions involved with um, these draconian methods that the government used to control yes. us. Sorry, try not to put politics in. But, okay. <laughs> but uh, rather than that, you looked at it as an opportunity. Mm-hmm. You saw it as the perfect way to um, actually finish one of your goals. And that's the most important thing. That's is that the you, message. Yes. yes. That is the message. And you can always find mm. something positive out of every situation. I work with two words. And that is either it's a blessing or a curse. So, okay. So, it's very simple because I put it into two categories. So, if I have bad news and, and okay, whatever it is, I, have, I go, okay, right. Blessing or curse, Sam? Come on, choose. I got blessing. So now what's the blessing? And then I go, I make it really quick. Yes. I don't stand there and go, oh my God, I'm lamenting. This has happened. This has happened. This. Has... I go, okay, right. Blessing or curse? I'm choosing blessing. I'm not doing curse here. So what's the blessing? And then I take 10 pages and I start writing, what is the blessing here for me? And right. then I, there's the cure. I'm already cured. No more curses, only blessings. Now, Anne, you've had a really wonderful, colourful career. Talk a little bit about um, your media stuff and your acting stuff and your, um, and then your fashion career as well. When I was in Sri Lanka, I was a speech teacher. I was teaching for a very reputed elocution school called the Wendy Watmore School of Speech and Drama. I was a teacher. And then I was involved with a lot of theatre work, acting, plays, radio work, a little bit. I also did one dubbing for one film. So that was my world. The stage is very easy for me. Then I went, then came the retail, the fashion industry after that, when I left Sri Lanka. The fashion industry is very exciting. I love it. So I was back thrown into retail and I work with all the labels just about every label I could possibly think of from the top end from the big labels down to Australian designer labels it was a wonderful time because to me the most 
important job in the world is sales. What are we selling? We're always selling something. Including is, ourselves. Yeah, that is the biggest job. To me, it's exciting. But when you are working as a fashion consultant, it's tough because you've got to make more sales, you've got to find more clients, and, you, and there's a struggle. Like every job has a struggle, but in the fashion industry, it's, it's just, oh my gosh, it's, it's like... more, rather than a struggle, maybe competitive. Very competitive, extremely competitive. And you have to be competitive to survive. And if you're not competitive, you lose your job. But if you love what you do, then it's, it's not... It's enjoyable. It's enjoyable. Yes. So I enjoyed my uh, fashion industry career very much. I had wonderful people that I worked with. We had good times, successful times more importantly. So it was a very grand time in my life. Are you still involved with the fashion industry today? Uh, no, Lily. I retired from the fashion industry in 2016. And then I went to the Holy Land in 2017, which was my dream to visit wow. the Holy Land. So that was just oh, breathtaking. Did you beautiful. go by yourself or with a church a group? Yeah. I joined a tour, a church group from Sri Lanka. That was just a huge high point for me. I consequently booked for the second tour, but then we went into lockdown. So my goal and my dream is... When it's safe again to go, I'll be going to the Holy Land. Tell me a little bit about that trip because you haven't even mentioned it to me. The Holy Land was like, it's like something that was in my blood, something I had to do. As soon as I got off the plane, I thought to myself, I'm home. I felt it in my bones. It was just wonderful. It was um, a spiritual trip. Did you fly in on LL or on another airline? Um, the reason I ask is because when you fly in on LL, which I did with my first trip, mm-hmm. they play this Hebrew song, Havenu Shalom Aleichem, which oh. is Welcome Home. Oh. Which So as you're landing, mm. it really brings up emotion. Oh, it's so much spiritual fulfillment, isn't it, when you go mm. to the Holy Land? It's just How long were you there? Did I was you... there for three weeks. And... Which is a, a yes. good, a good amount of tour. time. We, we did the tour. What stands out for you? Oh, everything. Everything. It's just like, I just want to go there again. And when I left, I was very sad. And I, it's like, I want to go again and again and again. Just back to the Holy Land. Yeah, there's something about mm. being there yes. that is... It's so sacred. You and feel it's different. It. You feel it's it. It's different. You feel it, yes. Even though, you know, it's especially 2016 is pretty much the way it is now. Yes. I think I was there in 2016. Oh, were you? Yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but I didn't know you then. Wow. Um, but it's as much as it's a big city, mm. Tel Aviv, and mm. even Jerusalem, it's a different feel. Yes. And then when you're exploring the churches mm. and the historical sites, it just gives you emotions and feelings. Yeah. To me, it was like I was reliving the Bible. And the Bible is very important to me. So I felt like, oh my gosh, here's the Old Testament, here's the New Testament, and this is it. Mm. Did you actually get to meet um, Israelis, people that live oh, in Israel? Yes, yes, lots, lots. 
just to be in and out of those churches and eating the food, the culture, the palm trees with the dates. Oh my gosh. Amazing. Just absolutely. <laughs> I love the food. Love the food. Did your husband come with you no, on this I trip? Just, you I just went by myself. So when you came back to Australia mm-hmm. after doing that trip, did you share it with other people in yes, any kind of... Yes, I was of... like, I felt that I had died and I was already resurrected in heaven. And <laughs> I felt like that for a very long time. And I thought to myself, who can I share this with? Because nobody will understand that I have just burst out of my skin, literally. And feeling so spiritually connected at such a deep level. I've never felt like that in my life. So I met a friend. She went to Jerusalem too in Melbourne. So we would talk to each other. I said, can I talk to you please? Because this is, I want to talk about Jerusalem. That's all I want to talk about. So we would talk and talk and talk, the two of us, until we got sick of each other. (laughs) So you didn't put a group together from the church or from no. and, and sort of do a presentation because I'm sure you took many photographs oh, as well. Oh, lots, lots. No, I didn't do any of that. But I booked for another trip straight away. And okay, that, I'm that going to encourage you to do more talking about your more trip. About especially, you'll have to show me the photos. I and will. If you've got photos as well, it's a wonderful... Oh, um, I've got plenty of photographs from Jerusalem. Oh, just when I when when we did the tour going to uh, the Sea of Galilee, how can I even describe that? You know that boat ride. It was just so. Spiritual. Did you float in the Dead Sea? Floated in the Dead Sea. Put that lovely black mud all over me. It was just fabulous. It's so ancient. It's so ancient and. Oh, it just took me back to the days of the Bible. I was like, okay, now I'm with Moses, now I'm with Abraham. Here's, you know, oh, it was just breathtaking. So much spiritual. Connecting to people whose spirit is still there. Yes. It doesn't matter if you're religious or if you have faith or you don't have faith. Very true. Even here today whether it's your ancestors, whether it's a connection with somebody else, Mm. those feelings of connection give you a much richer insight into your own life. Absolutely, absolutely. I never felt so connected to the Old Testament and the New Testament as much as I when I went there. It's just a glimpse that ancient world was breathtaking. And I know that you're a big fan also of Florence Chauvel's Shin as well. Oh, love her work. And um, for people who have not heard of her, Mm -hmm. uh, just give us a very brief um, description of her work and what connects you because I would highly recommend people Google her and uh, and get more information. I have to say that I've chosen three women authors and that's uh, Florence Corbyn, Shin, Louise Hay, they're all my goddesses. And... um, the queer, um, who's that? Catherine Ponder. Catherine Ponder. These two, because their books are just amazing. I cannot believe how, you know, like I, I was struggling, and then you open the first page and it tells you what to do. And I'm going, how easy is this? 
how easy is it? Here am I struggling, I'm going to die, I'm feeling depressed, what am I going to do? How am I going to solve this problem? How am I going to get out of these feelings that I'm having? But you open Florence Corbyn's Shin and there she tells you in the first page what to do. And Louise Hay says the same thing. And then there's Catherine Ponder saying, oh my gosh, that work and I, is so breathtakingly beautiful. I thought to myself, you know what? I, they're not here anymore, so I've got to carry on with the legacy. So I want to be your Melbourne girl, your Melbourne author, who is flying the flag for Catherine Ponder, for Louise Hay, and for Florence Coville Shin. Wonderful, absolutely wonderful. And thank you so much for sharing so much of yourself and your inspiration and your life with us on this interview. I'm looking forward to the launch of your third book as well. But we'll get through the second one first. <laughs> thank you, Lily. I can't thank you enough. I have to say that I have so much admiration for you. I've had so many conversations with you and I'm a big fan of yours. I love your work. I love your show, Lily High on Life. It says it all. And when I talk to you, and then I go home, I'm on a high, because I'm on a, I'm on, I pinched a little bit of that high from Lily, you know what I mean? I love it, thank well, you. thank you very much, and it's very mutual, and this show is a passion of mine, just like your writing and your photography is a passion of yours. And I hope everybody finds at least one passion in their lives. Thank you. Thank you, Lily.